Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. is our God. I love that song. He's our rock and our shield. You want your Bibles turn to Matthew chapter 1 and Christmas time is here. <clears throat> so we'll take some time this month to preach on Christmas, the subject of Christmas. Um, this morning, very simple message on the virgin birth, topical message reminding us again we preach on this every year that I know of since we've started the church 18 years ago. Again, reminding how important the virgin birth is. Matthew chapter 1, look with me in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Amen. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we just praise you and thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of the virgin birth. We thank you that you sent your son into this world to, to live and to die and be buried and rise again from the dead that we can have eternal life and have our sins forgiven. And Lord, this morning, may again we put our eyes on you and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So here, Matthew makes it very clear that this was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah seven fourteen. we have the prophecy of Jesus 750 years before he was born prophecy that Jesus would be born of a virgin Isaiah seven fourteen says therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel again the prophet Isaiah 750 years before Jesus Christ was born into this world prophesied that he would be born of a virgin again the birth of Jesus Christ was no ordinary birth Hope was born on that day as Jesus Christ was born. The cure for our sin debt was born on that day. Again, when I was born, uh, it was an ordinary birth. No hope was born. Uh, When you were born, hope was not born. But uh, when we were born into this world, it was an ordinary birth. Mine was pretty ordinary, except I was like nine pounds and something. Whatever. I kind of reflect that today. But it was an ordinary birth. 
Great men and women have been born in this world in the past. George Washington, Fanny Crosby, Abraham Lincoln, you could name many and I could name many. But all had earthly fathers. All had an ordinary birth. All had an ordinary birth. But Christ's birth was not ordinary. On that day, a virgin gave birth to a child. That is not ordinary. That is miraculous. That is supernatural. A virgin had a child. And they called his name Jesus. This is an important doctrine. It's an important... The word doctrine, by the way, just means teaching. This is an important teaching in the Bible. On it rests many other subjects and many other teachings. Understand that the virgin birth is an essential teaching. It's an essential truth. We call them the fundamentals of the faith or the essentials of, of the faith. The fundamentals of the faith, it's good to... We're going to review that just for a few minutes. The fundamentals of the faith are the essentials of our faith. We think about fundamentals, we think about basketball, right? We just started basketball practice at the academy, learning the fundamentals, the bounce pass and the pass and the layup and whatever, right? I don't know, basketball, whatever. I enjoyed basketball. But we learned the fundamentals. It's important uh, for a... A, a, uh, a player to learn the fundamentals, not just be a shooter. Learn the fundamentals. It'll help you. They're, they're essential. They're important. The essentials are the fundamentals of the faith. Number one is that all Scripture is inspired. That the Scripture, the Bible, is the inspired, inerrant Word of God. It is the sole, absolute, fully sufficient and final rule of faith and practice, the inerrant Word of God. I hold in my hand the Word of God. All Scripture, not some, Old and New Testament, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration means God breathe and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Listen, this is the Word of God. I believe that the Word of God is preserved in the English language in the King James Version. We use the King James Version. It is the most honest translation. It is the best translation. And therefore we use it. I believe it is the inerrant, inerrant Word of God. Amen. Final authority for all faith and practice. That is essential. That is a fundamental of the faith. If this Word is not true... In Genesis chapter 1, then what makes it true in, you know, John chapter 4? It's either all or it's nothing. Amen? I either trust it all or I can trust nothing. This is the inspired, inerrant, the very word of God. That's essential to our faith. There was a day when I would knock doors. I would knock a door and I would do a little survey. The very first question I would ask is, do you believe the Bible to be the inspired word of God? 30 years ago, you could ask that question because people kind of understood what was going on. Today, if you ask that question, they go, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Right? I said, I don't know what that means, preacher. Listen, the Bible is the inerrant, inspired Word of God. It is the foundation for all other doctrines, all other teachings. Number two, we think about the atonement of Christ. Essential to our faith is the atonement of Christ. That salvation is solely in the person, life, and work of Christ by grace through faith. The atonement. 
that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth and he lived a perfect life for 33 and a half years. He became a man. He became a human. The creator became a creature. The creator became man and dwelt among us, the Bible says. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he lived a sinless life for 33 and a half years. And he, they, they crucified him on the cross. Not for sins he had done. In fact, Pilate said, I find no fault in him. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ, who had never sinned. Jesus Christ, who had never thought, had a sinful thought, or performed a sinful deed, died on a cross and shed his blood on Calvary in order that I'm, my sins might be forgiven, in order that my sins could be paid for. He died in my place. They put him in the tomb, but three days later he rose from the dead. The atonement of Christ is essential to my salvation. The atonement of Christ is essential to my faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works as a man should boast. Salvation is, is by grace through faith. You don't have to be a member of a church to be saved. You don't have to be, a, a, be baptized in order to go to heaven. No, you must put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Repenting of your sins, understanding that you are a sinner. We're all sinners. Understanding that we are sinners and come to him for salvation. Come to him for atonement. I think about when Brother McCracken was here this summer in our summer revival. And he used the verses there in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to go over there and read them real quick. Remember he talked about the 26 words, the gospel. Verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the good news, which I preached unto you, which also you have received and where you stand, by which also you're saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, here it is, that which I also received, how that, here's the 26 words, Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. The next fundamental of the faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is fundamental. That's essential to our faith. The believing and trusting in his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, there is no salvation. If Christ did, rise, did not rise from the dead, there is no atonement. If Christ did not rise from the dead, there is no hope. He must have risen from the dead bodily. 1 Corinthians 15, that same chapter says, But now is Christ risen from the dead. And then believing the imminent return of Christ. Paul said, I wouldn't have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning the which are asleep, that you sorrow not as others which have no hope. Right? He says, For we believe that God hath risen... Anyway... He, and they will return. Christ is coming again. He's coming again with the voice, with the trumpet, with the trump of God. One day he's returning. That's, the Bible speaks of it as being the blessed hope, the hope of his return. Then the virgin birth. The virgin birth is essential to salvation. The virgin birth is essential to our salvation. It's essential to having our sins forgiven and having a home in heaven. Jesus Christ could have came and he could have been 
he, he could have uh, lived a, a good life. He could have been, he could have died for us. He could have shed his blood on Calvary, done all those things, even rose from the dead. But if he wasn't virgin born, we would still have no hope. Amen. It's because of his virgin birth that we have hope. It's essential to the gospel. We understand, I'm not going to go into this morning, about Kaniah's curse. We understand about the sin nature, that because he was born of a virgin, he was born without a sin nature. Amen. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for all of sin. It's through the man we receive our sin nature. It's through the man that we, that we receive that, that selfish nature. And Jesus Christ, being a virgin, was not born of man. No virgin birth, no Savior. No virgin birth, no salvation. No virgin birth, no hope. Jesus Christ was virgin born. He was virgin born. There are three unusual, if you would, or special births in the Bible. I've preached on these before. But they are, it's kind of neat to go back and to see these unusual births. The first one is found in, in, by way of Isaac in the Old Testament. Here we find a special birth in Genesis chapter 12. It's, his birth was prophesied. And I will make of thee a great nation, he said to Abraham. This is God speaking to Abraham. I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Abraham was promised by God that through him would come a great nation. Abraham was promised, the Abrahamic covenant, that all the soil he walked upon he would receive and that his seed would be as the stars of heaven and as the sand on the seashore. And God promised Abraham a child, that he would have a child. In Genesis chapter 15, he speaks of this. I'm going to turn over there. We've got some time here. Genesis chapter 15, and you can follow with me if you would like. Genesis 15, verse 1 says, And after these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And I'm going to go on, skip on down to verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that it shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Not, that's not going to be the servant's kid. No, Abraham is going to be come from thine own loins. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to, uh, able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. In other words, Abraham believed the promise that he would have a child. He believed the promise that one day the Messiah would come. And that's, that scripture, you can look it up later, is found in Galatians chapter 3, where the Bible says the gospel was preached unto Abraham. So Abraham was promised that through him he would, have a, he would have a seed, he would have a son. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. And Abraham was 90 years old and nine, and the Lord appeared unto Abram. And said unto him, I am, thy, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be the father of many nations. Look at verse, uh, let's look at verse 5 and 6. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but, not, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For the father of many nations have I made thee. And I'll make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings, and kings shall come out of thee. Look at verses 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings and people shall be of her. 
Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? Look at chapter 18, verse 9. <clears throat> and they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? This is the God appears to Abraham uh, there right before God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. And he comes to Abraham's tent. And he says this, And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken of age. And it's, listen to this, And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. She was past the point of being able to have children. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which, is, which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. And then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. By the way, uh, Isaac, the name Isaac means laughter. Ironic, huh? God has a sense of humor. It's good stuff. God promised a child. And we know in chapter 21, the birth of Isaac says, And the Lord visited Sarah, verse 1, as he had said, chapter 21, verse 1, And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken, and Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time in which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that he was born unto him, which Sarah bare unto him, Isaac. You can go in there and see it again. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born, verse 5. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. Isaac, born. By the way, Isaac, a great picture of Jesus Christ. A great picture. An Old Testament story, an Old Testament illustration of a New Testament truth. We think about the miraculous birth of Isaac. Not virgin born, but God intervened. God intervened, a supernatural birth. Isaac, the only son of Abraham. You say, well, what about this one and that one? No, the only son that came from his wife and the true one there. By the way, just a few chapters later in chapter 22, God says to Abraham, take thy son, thy only son, and offer him up. And he took Isaac to Mount Moriah and there offered him up as a sacrifice. I think about the obedience of Abraham as he laid that child on the altar, a young man actually. And as Isaac laid there on the altar and, and the Bible says Abraham raised his knife to slay Isaac and the angel of God stopped him. And there was a ram caught in the thicket, remember, by his horns so that he would not be blemished. And God provided a lamb in the stead of Isaac. But Isaac was offered up as Jesus Christ was offered up for us. It's a great and wonderful picture. What a story it is. What a picture it is. What an unusual birth Isaac had. But it was no virgin birth. Isaac had a sinful nature when he was born in this world. In fact, read the story. Isaac definitely had a sinful nature. He, it was an unusual birth, but not a virgin birth. Isaac became the father of many nations. A great picture of Jesus. The second birth, unusual birth, is found in, this, in the man John the Baptist. Turn back with me to Luke chapter 5. John the Baptist. 
we won't read a lot of this just for time's sake, but we know that John the Baptist was prophesied in the Old Testament to come and that he would prepare the way of the Lord. This is found in Isaiah chapter 40. I'm going to go read that real quick. Isaiah 40 and verse 3. The Bible says, Isaiah said, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert and a highway for, God, for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain shall be made low and crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Look at Luke chapter 3. Actually, back up just a little bit. Luke chapter 3, verse 2 through 6. Luke chapter 3. It says, And Ananias and Caiaphas, being high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. This is John the Baptist. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah. Isaiah. By the way, just as a side note, um, the Greek spells Isaiah different than Isaiah, but it's because it's Greek and not Hebrew. Everybody, everybody ever wondered that? Said, so why is the names in the New Testament just a little bit different than the Old Testament? Because you're, tra- you're translating from Greek instead of Hebrew. I don't know if anybody, everybody, anybody had that question? This is Isaiah. I even know it's got an E in front of it. Isaiah. Everybody with me? It says, as it's written, verse 4, in the books of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, maketh path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. I just point that out because I want to make sure you understand that Isaiah prophesied of John the Baptist. And the New Testament indicates that Isaiah, that that scripture is directly connected to John the Baptist. So you have the connection. You know without a shadow of a doubt that that verses, those verses in Isaiah chapter 40 are speaking of John the Baptist, that he would prepare the way of the Lord. So John the Baptist, born six months prior to Jesus, came to prepare the way for the Lord. The Old Testament illustration is like the you know, people going out in front of the king. Before a king came to town, the, his entourage would go before him and make his way straight and make the paths clean for the king to come. Well, here's King Jesus coming, and John the Baptist is the one who's going to prepare the way. He's the one who puts the materials together. He begins to preach. He begins to teach. He begins to prepare the way of the Lord. Look at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. John the Baptist's birth was an unusual birth. Luke chapter 1, verse 5 says, And there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abai, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And again, for lack of time, I'm going to read the whole chapter. We ought to, but we're going to, we're going to just summarize it. So here is a priest, his wife Elizabeth, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Again, it says in verse 7, they were, there was no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well, what? Stricken in years. God intervened in the life of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Zacharias went into the temple to, to do his uh, priestly duties, and when he was in there, an angel appeared to him, Gabriel. Gabriel said, you're going to have a child. Your wife's going to have a child. Uh, by the way, Zacharias didn't believe him, and so God, Zach, uh, the angel made Zacharias 
unable to speak until the birth of the child. God promised Zacharias and Elizabeth a child. A miraculous event took place. John the Baptist was born in this world. An unusual birth, yes, but not a virgin birth. John the Baptist was not sinless. John the Baptist was born with a sinful nature. John the Baptist, who was a great man, the Bible says maybe the greatest man since Moses, but he was not a sinless man. He was preparing the hearts for the Lord. They were preparing the hearts for the long-awaited Messiah. He was preparing the hearts for the King of kings and Lord of lords. He was the forerunner of Christ. He was gathering the materials together. A great preacher, a great man. But nonetheless, a sinner. Many verses we could turn to about John the Baptist. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. John 1, 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 1 Timothy three sixteen. I quote it a lot, I know, but it's so important you understand that great is the mystery of Godness. God was manifest in the flesh. The incarnation of Christ. What does that mean, incarnation? It means God with skin on. It means God becoming flesh. You see, that day when Jesus was born into this world, God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. We beheld who He is. We beheld the the, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. (laughs) Being in the brightness of His glory, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, an express image of His person. Remember over there in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says that, that he, was, he was the express image. He was the image of God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus' words. He was God in the flesh. He was just as much man as though he'd never been God, and just as much God as though he'd never been man. He was the God-man. He was virgin-born. And being virgin-born, that's a miraculous birth. That's a supernatural birth. But unlike Isaac and unlike John the Baptist, he had no earthly he had no earthly daddy. And because he had no earthly daddy and he was born of the spirit, he was born without a sin nature. When I was born in this world, I was born selfish by nature. My mom and dad had to do certain things to keep me from being uh, you know, a heathen. My dad and mom applied the Board of Education the Seat of Understanding in the right way. They, they never beat me, but they applied it in the right way and, and therefore tried to discipline me in order that my selfish nature might be repressed just a little bit. I was a very hyperactive kid. You not, might not have thought that. I was a little hyperactive, and, and, and I, my dad said I got a whipping every day till I was 12. I think that's probably true. I was born with a sin nature. I was born selfish by nature. Jesus Christ was born without a sinful nature. Never one time did he have a sinful thought. What about you? Amen? Never one time did he commit a sinful deed. 
Never one time did he think about choking somebody. I'm just saying, I know I'm, I'm being kind of silly, but never one time did he, did he have that kind of thought. Never one time did he have a, a thought. He was sinless in desire. He was sinless in deed. He was sinless in disposition. He was sinless. Why? Because he was virgin born. Why is that important? It's important because in order for me to go to heaven, I have to have a sinless record. Because God cannot look upon sin at any time. I can't enter heaven with sin in my life. I can't enter heaven with sin. I cannot go to heaven with sin. I can't do it. The Bible makes that very clear. What happens is when I got saved at the age of six years old, Jesus Christ forgave me my sins. And that law fulfilling, that sinless life, that 33 and a half years that he lived a sinless life, that record of sinlessness, that record sinless life, that was applied to me. My sinful record was erased. My sinless record was thrown into the depths of the sea, never to be remembered anymore. My, my sinful record was thrown as far as the east is from the west. And Christ's law-fulfilling life, his 33 and a half years of, of law-fulfillment, of sinlessness, was placed to my account. When I get to heaven someday, a big, there's not going to be a big screen up there. And a big screen comes down and all my sins will be placed there before me. And my good deeds on one side and my bad deeds on one side. My sins on one side. And if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, if my good deeds outweigh my sin, then I get to go to heaven. That's not how it works. It's not what the Bible says at all. When I got saved, my sins were forgiven. And God, God forgets them. When I get to heaven, I won't, I won't give an account for my sin. I give an account for my works. There's a difference. That's another message. But my sins have been forgiven. And when God looks at my record, the record will come up. That record won't be my record. <laughs> It'll be Christ's record. Jesus Christ paid the, my debt. Jesus Christ died in my place. Jesus Christ gave all for me. I should have died on that cross. I should have, been, I should have had my blood shed. I should have paid my own sin debt. But Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. My sins have been plunged to the depths of the sea. Below the crimson flood. Never to be remembered anymore. The virgin birth, why is it important? Because of that sinless record. Had Jesus not been virgin born, he would have been a sinner just like Isaac. If Jesus had not been virgin born, he would have been a sinner just like John the Baptist. But he was virgin born. And because of it, he had a sinless record. And because of it, when I accept Christ as my Savior, I receive that sinless record. I am in Christ. The Bible describes it as being in Christ. This morning, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has that sinless record been applied to your account? When you get to heaven one day, will you try to get into heaven based upon your own merit, or based upon your own works, based upon you know, your good deeds? Or will you get into heaven based upon what Christ did for you? I'm telling you, the only way you get to heaven, the only way you get into heaven, the only way is through Jesus. In fact, I'll quote Jesus. He said this. He said, I am the way, 
Not the best way, not kind of the way. He said emphatically, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said, I'm the only way to the he heaven. I'm the only way to the Father. You've got to come through Jesus. His sinless record, his sinless life. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? I'm thankful this morning I have the hope of eternal life. I'm thankful this morning because I'm saved and born again. I have the hope of seeing my loved ones again. I think about Thanksgiving and Christmas. I think about my mama. I think about her dressing. That I miss her dressing. I miss the stuff she cooked. I miss her. I think about two of our children in heaven. I think about one day getting to see them again. My papa, my grandma, many other loved ones. I think about Brother Crawford that used to be here and so many others. I one day get to see them again. What great hope that is. I'm thankful today that I have life that's worth living and a life of purpose because of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. Amen. That every day I get up, I have purpose for living, and that is to glorify God and to fellowship with Him. Doesn't matter what happens at work, doesn't matter what happens on the way to work, doesn't matter what happens relationally with my, my parents or, or, or with my, my dad, my mom, or with my children, or whatever. No, my purpose for living is not, not my family. My purpose for living is not my job. My purpose for living is... To glorify God. Amen. And if I keep my purpose for living now where it should be, I have hope in this life now. I'm thankful he didn't just give us hope for eternity, he gave us hope now. He said, I came to give you life and to give it more abundant. And it's through his life, death, and resurrection that we can have that abundant life. I hope that you're experiencing that as a Christian. You ought to be. The hope of all mankind is Jesus Christ. Hope is not found in some church. Hope is not found in some work. Hope is not found in the government. No, hope is found in Jesus Christ. And the virgin birth is essential. It's essential to salvation. If there was no virgin birth, there is no hope. It doesn't matter what the liberals say, no matter what the modernists say. My Bible makes it very clear over and over and over again that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. And I have hope because of it. Let's all stand. Hymn 544, Almost Persuaded. Lord's spoken to you this morning in that still small voice. Maybe you say, well, I, I don't know that I'm saved, preacher. I don't, I don't know that I have eternal life. I've been maybe trusting in some baptism or trusting in my works or trusting in a family member or some, some other thing that happened. No, come this morning and one of these counselors are here will show you from the Bible how you can have eternal hope found in Jesus Christ. The virgin birth is essential. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you sent your only son to become flesh for us, to live that perfect life, to die and be buried and rise again from the dead. Lord, help us to stand on this essential truth. Help us to never waver in the day and hour in which we live. May we stand firm in the faith. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.